0: We serve a mighty king, a risen and exalted saviour, and he is amazing, and he loves uh, us today. If you've got small children and you'd like them to go to groups, we've got groups for them. Cresce is through the back doors there, and our uh, sparklers group for the next age up, sort of two and a half to five is just through those doors, if there's anybody who's not already gone uh, to that. Uh, Wonderful. So today we're uh, continuing our series entitled God Is... And the reason we're doing this is a conviction um, that's in our hearts that, it's on the banner here, what we believe about God changes everything. That When we think about God and reflect on him and his character and personality and who he is and and aspects of, of the nature of God, as we reflect on that and we ponder who God is, it changes us. And we are radically transformed by what we believe about God. And I want to look today at something I believe is probably the biggest issue for Christians today, the biggest, uh, the easiest thing to understand, but the biggest challenge that we have in living our lives as followers of Jesus. And uh, maybe the couple of pictures I'm going to put on the screen will help you understand uh, why and what I'm talking about today. Uh, Some of you who've had children will remember the day that you were in a swimming pool, uh, coaxing your Uh, child to jump off the side into your waiting arms and uh, or or you were kind of coaxing them to get their feet off the bottom and begin to swim and at some point uh, you will have used the words trust me trust me if you stood uh, in the pool and you've got water up to wherever it is and and the child's on the side and you're holding out your arms you're going trust me it'll be okay trust me and you're doing all you can all that's in your power to convey an image of trustworthiness at that point you're stretching out your hands as far as you can reach you're um, making sure that you're in a good place to catch them if it's ca- jumping off the side or or whatever but you're making sure that you're ready and you're you're able and you're looking confident in that moment whatever you're feeling or, or maybe it's been that moment where your child is learning to cycle i remember this quite clearly Um, the cycling one particularly and uh, running up and down bent double behind a push bike and uh, trying to you know by the end of it you're like oh god dear but anyway running up and down trying to get to this moment where your child can can cycle by themselves and it's amazing and then they do this whole thing around of a a whole thing of looking around go don't let go don't let go don't let go it's all right it's all right it's okay i've got you and then there's that moment where the child goes and crashes and you, and you pick them up, and you make sure it's okay, and um, you go through all that. I, I want to talk today about how God is trustworthy, how God is trustworthy. You see, I think this is the biggest challenge we face as Christians today, to, to live our lives as if God is trustworthy. Last week, I spoke a message about God not being disappointed with you uh, or being delighted in us, and I, and I said that that was a recent revelation for me that was just coming afresh. Uh, today's message is... Um, I've got no story of God speaking, revealing it. It's actually, as I've been preparing this, God's just opened up my heart and showed me areas where I'm not trusting him. Areas where actually I need this word into my life. And so today I'm standing preaching, saying this is the word of God, Uh, but I'm also sitting here listening to the word of God being preached because it's preaching to my own heart today. You see, I've noticed as I was preparing this, the tendency I have to trust God as my last resort. You know, when I've worked out and I've tried and I've done everything else and nothing else has worked. And then I go, okay, Lord, over to you. And he says, ah, finally. I've been waiting for this moment for a while. Or where I've started off trusting God and that seemed okay until his timing didn't seem to be quite what I had in mind. Or his method was slightly different to the one I would have preferred him to choose. Or his, the, the direction we seem to be heading in isn't where I thought we would go. Anybody else been in that situation? And it starts off okay and you say, God, I'm trusting you, you can have everything. And then a little bit later on, it doesn't seem to be panning out as you had in mind. And you want to get the contract out and say, God, it said here that you could do it my way. And then you realize what it is you're saying. I found myself saying to somebody this week about a particular situation, I just want to provide for my family. And it was only a day or so later I found myself listening to myself and thinking, Stuart, who is it that provides for your family? It ain't you, pal. It's God who has everything in hand. It's God who provides, it's God who enables, it's God who's the provider of all, it's God who makes everything possible, it's Him. It's our loving Heavenly Father who reveals Himself to us again and again. He's the one that we're called to trust. Now, I'm grateful that I'm not alone, because throughout the Bible there are stories of people with great faith, greater faith than mine, who've also had trouble with anxiety and trusting God. In fact, any story that we get, which is longer than just a snippet, you get those occasional ones about people doing incredible feats of daring, and and you don't hear anything about them. But any story that's more than just a snippet, you hear the struggle of trusting God. And we see that people came through in the end. What is it we're talking about today when we're talking about God is trustworthy? I'm talking about uh, trustworthy, not just believable, but trustworthy. Trustworthy. And I wonder if in the church sometimes what we've done is we've encouraged people to believe in God, but it's almost like a concept. We're saying, would you just believe in Jesus and then you'll be okay? Uh, We read verses like this that says, And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life, John 3, 36. Or, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Amazing verses, incredible promises of God. But I wonder if sometimes we're, we're asking people to agree to an intellectual statement, an affirmation verbally or, or in, in our thought process, rather than a conviction that sinks into our heart and changes the way we live. You see, the rest of those verses say this. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life. What remains under God's angry judgment. Or, secondly, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Anyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. That first one, it's an interesting correlation. Because we'd have thought that the, the, it would be believes in me and anyone who doesn't believe in me. But notice what Jesus does. He's, he's linking believing and obeying. It's not believing and not believing. It's believing in him versus not obeying him. And so for Jesus, he's saying, look, if you believe in me, it's it's actually trusting me. And you're trusting me with everything. And you're trusting me enough that when I say to do something, you're going to trust that that's the right thing to do and you're going to do it. So for Jesus, believing is linked to obedience. Or secondly, he says that believing in him is linked to living in him. And I just wonder... Just wonder sometimes if I've got and we've got evangelism wrong, that we're trying to get people to have a mental concept of something when actually Jesus is calling people to have a living and active, complete trust in him. An utter dependence. And it's just possible today that you're in this room and you've, you've been part of church for years or a week, however long it might be, and you've heard that you need to believe in Jesus as a concept But just as I'm speaking this, you're thinking, and it's been revealed to your heart, that maybe there's a deeper level of trusting Jesus to come, that God wants to do a work in you today and in me today. And I believe that's the invitation that Jesus offers us, to trust him wholeheartedly. This is a verse that often is given at um, baptisms and, and key moments in people's lives. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. I've added the next verse verse, because this made me smile. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. It's so easy to say. But we're going to look today at a story, someone's story from the Bible, uh, which helps us with this, that helps us, I think, When we've actually got anxiety, we're aware of our anxiety more than our trust. When we've got loads of reasons not to trust God, but actually we want to see well, why should we trust God? How can we trust God? Or secondly, perhaps we're aware of our own wisdom. You know, many of us have, many of us have accumulated wisdom over the years. We've we've got reasons for doing things, and we've got practical common sense. And when God says, "Do this." Our wisdom says, I'm not sure that's the best thing to do. And so if we're not making ourselves anxious and not doing what God says, sometimes we can reason ourselves out of obeying God because it just doesn't make sense. So let's have a look at a story and and interestingly linked to the word that we had earlier on from Abraham's story. The guy I've chosen to look through is Abraham today. I want to look at some key moments in Abraham's life. So we're going to look at the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12 initially. And the first statement I've got for us today is that God is trustworthy because of who he is. Because of who he is, he's trustworthy. It's like the trust I would want my kids to have in me when I'm stood in the pool saying, jump, it'll be okay, dad's got you. It's that kind of trust. Now they would have hopefully had more trust in me when they were two or three than they would now because they're big now and I probably wouldn't catch them. It'd probably be a disaster. Um, but I, it's in my character that I'm saying it's okay. Trust me. In Genesis chapter 12, verse, verse 1, we read this The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and make you to be a blessing to others and he carries on with verse after verse of this this blessing and then later on verse four it says so Abraham or Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy five years old when he left Haran If you're finding yourself beginning to settle down and you're thinking do you know what? Let the youngsters have a go. Abram was seventy five when God first Spoke to him. Don't you love that? That there's an opportunity at whatever age we are to hear the voice of God and trust him again. And step out into the unknown, whatever that represents for any of us. And to see what God will do. I just want you to notice there that Abram has nothing to go on. Nothing. Other than one word in this. I. I. That's so all he's got to go on. I. Who is it that's talking to him? Don't know. Is it the God of his father? No. Nope. His father's not a, a worshipper of God. Is it the God of his forefathers? No. Nope. They don't appear to be worshippers of God. So who is it that this is that is speaking to them uh, right now? It's I. I am the one speaking to you. And God, uh, Abraham has this encounter with God, who reveals himself as. I, I will go with you, I am with you, I will make you into a great nation. Remarkably similar to Moses' revelation, as Moses is confronted by a bush that's burning and isn't burned up, and he says, says to God, who is it that's speaking to me? Who are you? Who shall I say has sent me? And we get this name of God, I am that I am. God's self reverential name, referential name. He's not referring to anybody else or comparing with anybody else, he's just saying, I am. My encouragement today if we want to know how to trust God more is that we get to know him more and as we know him more we'll trust him more because as he reveals who he is we can't help but trusting him and we'll grow in that relationship. We, we're, um, you may have noticed that we've just begun an election cycle and you've noticed that our, our politicians, who work hard, they do work hard through the year and have a, a very challenging job to do. And now, remarkably, all donning high-vis jackets and hats and turning up all over the place. Anytime there's a flood or a car crash, there'll be a politician there, just kind of not causing it, hopefully, but letting us know that they're on the case and they're, they're the ones to, to trust. And it's around letting us know that they are trustworthy. And a lot of uh, money is spent on this messaging that goes out to try and demonstrate trustworthiness. God doesn't do that. He just says, trust me, I will show you. I will make you. I am. Secondly, God is trustworthy because he's greater than we can imagine. Another little story, as Abraham's story continues, and as God speaks to him, and as he has a child, Ishmael, then a little bit later on, when Abraham's not Abram is 99 years old, in chapter 17, verse 1, it says this, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. And then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you'll be the father of many nations. God is trustworthy because he's greater than we can imagine. Abraham had left his homeland, he'd left his family, and he'd gone to a nation he didn't know. He'd gone to a place he wasn't familiar with, uh, trusting the one who had sent him. But even that wasn't as great as the revelation he now has. God reveals himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty, and Abraham falls to his face. I think this has been true of me, that sometimes the God I'm not willing to trust is too small. And I wonder if it's the same for you too. Sometimes the God we're not willing to trust in our own thinking is too small. He's not great enough. Because we're seeing our problems or our issues. And when we look at them, we wonder if God can cope. But actually he can because he's greater than we can ask or imagine. He's amazing. And I I just wonder if actually it's time for some of us to have a face-down experience with God again. That maybe you've been in that place where you've been kind of, it's been okay and it's been all right, but there's just a moment coming where you need to trust God, where we need to to hold on to Him, and He's actually going to say, This is who I am, and we're going to need to be face down before Him. Maybe we need that time to rekindle the awe and majesty and holiness of God. Worship is amazing and helps us do that. But I also find that going to, for me personally, I spent my teenage years in Devon. And I find that going to stand next to the sea is incredibly rejuvenating for me. I don't know if you find the same. It's great because it comes in and goes out whether I want it to or not. It's not quite like the story of the Anglican vicar, who every day left whatever he was doing to go and watch the train go through his past his house, the vicarage. And when asked why, he said it's because the only thing in the parish I don't have to push. So my life isn't like that, so I'm not comparing with him. But I like the smallness I have when I'm stood at the seaside, the sense of scale I have when the waves are crashing up against the rocks and they're coming in against the cliffs and you're stood and you're watching and maybe you've got sea spray on your face and and you're just aware of the awe of God's creation. It's amazing. And we're tiny in comparison, but when you project up to how enormous God is, he is vast. And I, my prayer today is that we would be struck by the incredible wonder of our mighty God. If you're stuck in a situation, is it possible, is it just possible that God could be working out something bigger than you could yet have imagined? He could be working out something bigger. These promises to Abraham keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and re-spoken over his life and he's now going to be the father of many nations and his name is changed and wow, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. John Piper says this, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. I rather like that quote. God is doing more in your life than you think he is right now. And sometimes those things that we're hanging on to God for, we're saying, God, if only you would, he's already working out bigger purposes than we're asking for. And he's bigger than we can ask or think or imagine. Uh, Thirdly, God is trustworthy because of what he's already done. Uh, God keeps his word, of course, for Abraham. And uh, Sarah becomes pregnant. Genesis chapter 21, we read there, The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he'd promised. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would, and Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Simple point in this, God is faithful to his promise. And if you don't have a practice of keeping a record of what God has done, it's a great way of building your faith and building confidence in God. Keep a journal. You don't have to write everything in there, every thought and feeling, but even if you just jot in there some of the things that God has done when he answers prayer, it will be an amazing record to look back on. And those times when you're struggling, when we're struggling and we're saying, God, where are you today? Can you do this? We can look back and we can see the work that God has done month by month by month, year by year. It's an incredible record to see what God has done in your life. And if, if you've not done that and you haven't got a paper record to look back on, just recall, remind, let's remind ourselves of the works God has done so that we can trust him again. Or phone a friend who's walked with you for a bit. Get, ask them, say, so what's God done in my life? I've forgotten. Get them to tell you. Fourthly, God is trustworthy because he's with us. I've gone back to the beginning. God says, go to the land, I'll show you. It's key that he will show him, that God will show you. God's never going to leave us nor forsake us. No matter what situation we find ourselves in, he is completely trustworthy because he is with us. He's walking with us, journeying with us, going with us. The psalm says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is with us in the Difficult times. He doesn't always do what we want though, does he? When we're trusting him. But sometimes knowing that God is with us and he's bigger than we think. And he's faithful to who he is, is enough to get us through. There's a story of a guy called John Kavanagh. He went to work for three months at a place called the House of the Dying in Calcutta where Mother Teresa was working. And he was, desperate. he was a famous ethicist at this point, or brilliant ethicist. It's difficult to say, isn't it? Ethic, ethicist, one of them. Don't say it with the mouse. It's somebody who does ethics, and they kind of study the, the concepts of ethics. Um, not ethics. That's somewhere just north of the river, um, but ethics. Um, and he'd gone to work at this place where Mother, Ca- Mother Teresa was working. And it said that he'd gone there to, to fashion and think about the rest of his life. It was a key moment for him. He was spending three months there. And one morning he actually met with Mother Teresa and she asked this, what can I do for you? And Kavanagh asked her to pray for him. What do you want me to pray for, she asked. And he said, well, I've I've come thousands of miles from the United States. Would you please pray that I have clarity over what to do for the rest of my life? Mother Teresa, famously stubborn, said no. I'm not going to pray that. And he then asked of why, you might imagine he would. And she said this, clarity is the last thing you're clinging to and must let go of. When Kavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have the clarity that he longed for, she laughed and she said, I've never had clarity. What I've always had is trust. And so I pray that you will trust God. There are so many decisions I've not made or I've held off because I'm waiting for clarity. I wonder if your life might be the same when maybe we need to trust God in a new way today. So there's a list of things we can do to trust God, and we, we can trust God because we can know that he's bigger, we can know who he is, we can know what he's done, and we can know that he's with us. Now, just to help us with this a little bit, this is just a, a silly moment before we get to a serious Bible passage. Uffa, um, can you come and join me? Graham, can you come and join me? Is that all right? I needed two strapping guys for this. So if you come and stand. Okay. So if you stand here, just either face each other. Face each other. You know, put your hands out. So there's a thing called a trust fall. Yeah? Oh. You've seen this? So the idea is that somebody um, is in a position like this and they fall backwards, right? right? <laughs> and and they, they're caught. Have you seen this thing? Management consultants do it and you kind of team building exercise. Well, that's do the do whole that? principle. No, you're not going to do this. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> don't worry. Um, but hopefully you'll see sometimes it doesn't quite work out as you're imagining, hopefully this will be on for us. Um. And we are just, it'll be an exercise in building trust uh, between one another. So Harrison, if you don't mind going first, uh, step up here on this chair and close your eyes. All right. And then everybody fill in and we're going to ask you to fall and then they will catch you. So you have to trust us. So I'm going to count to three. Just relax and fall, okay? One, two, three. No, wait, no, no! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, that's it, you can get sit down. I don't know if it's a setup, but it makes me smile every time. you ever been in one of those situations where it seems as though God set you up? That wasn't a setup. I, well, it might have been, but it, the guy, you know, if that was happening in real life, the guy hadn't been told to fall forwards, he just did. He went the wrong way. And I, and I wonder if at times you've stepped out to trust God and you've thought, God, what are you doing? Not like this. Please, not like this. This just doesn't work. You see, there's a story in Abraham's life where, and I'm sure I had a prophetic word about this earlier, about the time it took to get Isaac, his son, and Abraham had been promised to be the father of many nations, and he was getting older and had no son of his own to, to, to make into the father of many nations. He'd tried to work it out by himself, and he'd slept with someone that wasn't his wife to produce a son, and he'd had a son, but God had said, no, no, that's not what I meant. Stop trying to fix it yourself. Trust me, trust me, trust me. And he'd finally had the son, Isaac, that he'd been waiting for. He'd had this son, the son of the promise, that God had said, it's going to be okay, this is the one that I'm going to bring my, my nations to birth through, it's going to be Isaac. And then God says to him this, in Genesis chapter 22, we read these words, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham God called, yes, he replied, here I am, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. So Abraham gets up, saddled his donkey, and takes two servants with him, along with his own son. They chop wood for the fire, and they set out for the place that God has told them about. And the story goes on, and they go up the mountain. And we get this, this account happening of how Abraham uh, prepares to sacrifice his own son. And we read this story, and it shocks us is profoundly uncomfortable it's one of those moments where you've stepped out and no one's catching you and you think God what are you doing how we would be thinking that wouldn't we I would have been too anxious to go or reasoned myself out of it or or wondered why nobody else was being asked to do the same thing I'd have compared and thought God this doesn't look fair you're not asking this of anybody else why me I could have given you all sorts of reasons why I shouldn't have done it, why it was a foolish thing to do, why God couldn't possibly fulfill his promise if I was to go and kill my son. And people have used this passage to say all sorts of terrible things about God, and hopefully I can help in just a couple of minutes I've got left to unpack this in a way that you find helpful. But in this moment when it didn't make sense, Abraham still knew the character of the one who was calling him. He still knew the one who had said, I am saying go, and he'd gone and trusted God, and God had been with him. He still knew the one who was bigger than he could ask or imagine, the one who'd said, I am El Shaddai, and after that, Abraham still knew that God was bigger and more able, and so in this moment, when Abraham hears the same one say go, he trusts, and it's as if every moment in his life has led up to this point. We notice here in verse 2, go to the land of Moriah. Go to one of the mountains which I will show you. It's the same phrase God used to take him out of his original homeland into the land he was going to. God's reconnecting with something ancient and saying, come on, go. Now the story unfolds that Abraham leaves his servants and takes his son alone. And his son says to him, Isaac says, Father, where's the animal for the sacrifice? Oh, man. What would you say? Abraham says, God will provide. God will provide. And they go up. And as Abraham has prepared to kill his son, He's got a knife in hand. The Bible says at that moment, at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way, the angel says, for now I know that you truly fear God. If you've not withheld from me, even your own son, your only son. Abraham looks up and he sees a ram caught. And so he takes the ram and sacrifices that as a burnt offering. I said that sometimes God could be doing something bigger than you you can see. And in this story, it's a classic example of that. We read this today from our 21st century mindset and we say, how terrible that must be. How awful. And we can put ourselves in Abraham's position or Isaac's and we can imagine the years of therapy and counseling that would follow as a result of this incident where you think, wow, how messed up can a family be? What we forget is that actually in Abraham's culture, it was a culture where children were fairly routinely sacrificed. So Abraham had come from a polytheistic background where the god El, remember God's El Shaddai, El just means God. It's a a common word for God uh, that's used all around that area at the time. And El is a fertility god, and and people would sacrifice their children to the fertility god uh, for their own fertility, for prosperity, for the prosperity of the land. So child sacrifice was actually an incredibly common thing in that environment. And it's something that crops up later in Israel's history, and kings are condemned for sacrificing children. People are condemned for, for this barbaric, horrific practice. And God says later, you shall not do this. I'm not known by this. This is not something that my people do. And along with uh, circumcision and keeping the Sabbath and the food laws, this is one of the things that God says, we are not like this. Now, Abraham doesn't know that. He's not had the law. And this for Abraham is a moment of working out, who is this God I've been following all my life? Who is he? And so God uses what's common to Abraham, what's familiar to him, and says, okay, will you sacrifice your own son? And I wonder what Abraham was thinking, but at that moment, he, he's, he's ready to, and God stops him and says, no, Abraham, I'm not like that. Thank you for your willingness, but I'm not that kind of God. I am not worshipped in that way. I'm worshipped by your trust and you following me, but not like this and God steps in in his grace and his mercy and separates Abraham from all his family, from all his background, from all that baggage, from all the worship of idols, from all of that child sacrifice and says, I'm not like that. And we see this as a beautiful moment, actually a redemptive moment. And we see that Abraham is the one benefiting from this. God already knew that a- what Abraham would do. Abraham didn't know what he would do. And Abraham and Isaac are the ones benefiting as they see As this nation is formed in trust, as this nation goes on to be people of trust, as Isaac has seen his own dad trusting God and he's seen God delivering him and so as a young lad, he's got this impression in his mind that's one of faithfulness of God and having faith in God. Early on we looked at this verse and I'd like to leave with this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you'll do and he will show you which path to take. The real challenge when we're struggling to trust God is will I trust him or will I trust me? Pretty much always comes down to that. Am I going to trust him or am I going to trust me? This verse here says don't depend on your own understanding but trust in the Lord with all your heart. I put it to you today that God is trustworthy. He's trustworthy because of who he is. He's trustworthy because of what he's done. He's trustworthy because he's greater than we can ask or imagine. He's trustworthy because he's with us. My hope and my prayer is that even when we're hard-pressed on every side, even when we're pressed down, and not in a good way, we might say, God, I trust you. God, I trust that you're working out something bigger in my life than I can see right now. And I'm trusting in you. Almighty God is unendingly trustworthy. I'd love us to keep on trusting him. We, can we pray together? Let's pray, shall we? And it may just be that today, as I've been Speaking and telling Abraham's story, you've been reminded of some situations in your own life where you've thought, ah, yeah, I didn't trust God in that moment. I didn't trust God then, or I didn't trust God then. Don't be condemned by that. There were times in Abraham's life when he didn't trust God either, but God still used him. Times when he tried to work it out by himself, trying to, to get around God's will to make it more sensible, but actually God still used this amazing man. So just as we're quiet for a moment, let's ponder... And pause. Reflect on the times that God is calling us to trust him today. Reflect on the situations that God's calling us to trust him in. And bring those to him.